Salutations, listeners. You are listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a very specific spotlight. It is called Ming- Mingusian, I guess, Mingusian, Mingusian Dedications. And it's 12 tracks. Actually, we have a, a, a little bonus track, so 13 tracks of the great jazz bassist and composer Charles Mingus. And the dedications that he made with some of his compositions that he recorded. And um, it's very interesting to see some what which musicians that Mingus actually chose to dedicate songs to. Some of them are very expected. Some of them are a little more of a surprise. Regardless. The common denominator is that they're all fantastic music. So, Mingus is one of those rare personalities in jazz that could be very volatile, with a temper that was like a geyser, or he could be very tender and introspective. Mingus also, uh, you know, was considered one of the great jazz geniuses with Thelonious Monk and Duke Ellington and Jelly Roll Morton. And he definitely had a swagger about his personality. So stay tuned with us. We're going to delve into some of these fantastic tracks, uh, talk about them and uh, what some of the liner notes say, what he said, and what some other folks say about the great Charles Mingus. So Thank you for listening. Uh, let's get to our Mingusian Dedications episode here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
good stuff right there. All right, so that last track was a tune called um, "If Charlie Parker Were a Gunslinger." There'd be a whole there'd be a whole lot of dead copycats, but fortunately for us, he uh, shortened the title to "Gunslinging Bird," and of course, that is for the one and only Charlie Parker. And that's who this entire set uh, that we just heard is dedicated to, is some of the bebop geniuses, the bebop masters that Charles Mingus played along with. So uh, on that track, we heard, of course, Charles Mingus on the bass, his running partner, his partner in crime, Danny Richmond on the drums, uh, Jimmy Nepper on the trombone, the great Booker Irvin on the tenor saxophone, John Handy uh, on saxophone, Benny Golson, yeah, that Benny Golson on saxophone, Jerome Richardson on saxophone and flute, the great Roland Hanna on piano, uh, Theodore Cohen on the vibes, and Dick Williams on the trumpet. So, um, yeah, killer musicians, <clears throat> and um, it comes from the album, the Columbia album, uh, Mingus Dynasty, which is a fantastic record all the way around the board from bookend to bookend, from beginning to end. Um, but Mingus lays down this, like, you know, according to the line notes, he lays down the seething bass foundation egging the ensemble on and bubbling beneath it as the horns forge ahead, spewing occasional asides. Here, Danny Richmond lays down a veritable blanket of rhythm and demonstrates how perfectly wedded to Mingus' music, Mingus's music his drums are. When the simmering sound stew reaches a boiling point, it folds like a collapsed souffle, and we are left with a last puff of steam and a head full of memorable sounds. Just for the record, no pun intended, Mingus cut a minute or so out of this performance. A decided enhancement. And this is from Chris Albertson, uh, who wrote the line of notes to this CD. Um, but the truth of the matter is, Gunslinging Bird. I mean, Mingus is all about some Charlie Parker. Loved, loved Charlie Parker. Was, you know, has, has been said that he's very fortunate to play with him. Um... Truly, one of the geniuses in, in in Mingus's mind, and even if you check out some of the um, video footage of Mingus that's out there, there's this one tune, uh, not tune. <laughs> there's this one video called Mingus 1968, in which I think he's being like evicted out of his apartment or whatever, and the entire part the entire apartment is in disarray. But there's a few pictures that are up. In, in the apartment, and one of them is Charlie Parker. And I believe it's the Herman Leonard pho- photograph. Um, but yeah, it's blown up to almost like canvas size, you know. Um, because I, I really think that Mingus loved Bert. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he did not want any of his sidemen to copy Charlie Parker. I mean, because hence the title of that tune. Like if, you know, Charlie Parker was a gunslinger, There'd be a whole lot of dead copycats. I mean, he was very adamant against that. And um, one of the stories that I I told, if you enjoy this music and want to hear more in-depth 
Charles Mingus stories, please go back in the archives of the Dr. Jazz podcast and check out the spotlight on Charles Mingus because there are loads of stories. But I will retell this one in a very succinct way. He was so adamant that he did not want his saxophone player specifically to play Charlie Parker riffs, licks, copy him, that the story goes that he was in a club one night and one of the saxophone players played like uh, a bird lick, like something like that. And Mingus just looks over and is like, don't play that shit. Stop playing bird, you know. And so, you know, most soloists with Mingus's groups had extended solos. It was a very kind of open discussion, musical discussion sort of atmosphere. And um, apparently the sax player played like another Parker riff, like something like that. And Mingus got so pissed off that with one hand, mind you, not two, one hand, he threw down his bass and with one hand, he reached into the open piano, ripped out the strings, and said, the gig's over. I said, don't play that shit. And then, that was it. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I mean, this is also the guy that, you know, would chase Ann Leibovitz, you know, uh, from the Village Vanguard or whatever, you know, down 7th Avenue, you know. <laughs> Uh, and then tackle her saying like, didn't you owe me, you know, like a Chinese meal or something like that? You know, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, or like 20 bucks from a Chinese food that we, I bought for you. I don't know. The guy is, is filled ripe with stories and, 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 um, that's what made the personality larger than life. So there you go. But anyway, so the last song that we heard was gunslinging bird from the Mingus dynasty album on Columbia Records. Before that, we heard a tune called Dizzy Moods from the album Tijuana Moods, um, which Mingus has been quoted to say was his, you know, finest album to date. So, there you go. Um, Yeah. And that was, I'm trying to see, yeah, I'm looking in the the liner notes here, yes, that was recorded in 1957, summer of 1957, and, um, yeah, Danny Richmond is on drums, um, Shafi Hadi is on alto saxophone. Clarence Shaw is on trumpet. Jimmy Nepper again on trombone. Bill Triglia on piano. And of course, um, our man Mingus is on the bass. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about Dizzy Moods um, is, is of course it's dedicated to Dizzy Gillespie, who's another bebop pioneer, along with Charlie Parker, um, and it's based off the chord changes to Woody and You, which is a Dizzy Gillespie composition. Uh, it's also been called Algo Bueno, so I think that maybe 
John Opozo had something to, something to do with that with Dizzy when he was doing the the whole Cubop big band thing, Cubana B, Cubana Bop. And uh, but regardless, the the changes are definitely bebop changes, and that's kind of um, what bebop musicians were known for. You know, they would take these um, core changes to what is this thing called love, or whispering, or how high the moon, uh, or I got rhythm. Any number of, of tunes are based on the I Got Rhythm changes. Uh, or in this case, yeah, well, and, and yeah, so they would take those cha- those same changes and they would make a contrafact, which is a different melody, a different head, if you will, on top of those same chord changes. And uh, so basically what Mingus is doing is a contrafact twice removed. So he's taking uh, something that was one of Dizzy Gillespie's chord changes and writing a new melody over that. And that is the basis of the melody for Dizzy Moods. Um, He did write it in the car on the way to Tijuana. So, yeah. Uh, And from the liner notes here, uh, it says, When recording the very first piece, Dizzy Moods, it became clear that the music would not be realized in complete takes. After eight attempts... Mingus reassured the producer, everything won't be this slow. Seven takes later, <laughs> amid mounting consternation in the engineering booth with Mingus's fragmentary method, he persevered. Do you mind if I make two splices? It won't take but a second. Less time spent in the recording, stu- recording studio and more time spent in the editing room. So, um, Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> this whole suite—I mean, it's almost composes like a whole suite. This um, this Tijuana moods, and him and Danny Richman went to Tijuana, and to see I think who could outlast the other in decadent debauchery, and um, Mingus outlasted Danny Richmond. And I think the way that he put it, um, he, you know, they were both trying to get over a lot of life's troubles. But he said, Danny was hungry, but I was starved. <laughs> As only Mingus can, can say. Um, so on Dizzy's Moods, he uses this repeating blues phrase uh, from a single scale over a more mobile chord sequence. <clears throat> and in addition, an exciting tension is created with the shifts between 4-4 four, four and the waltz fill of six beats within the same space. Uh, this is no doubt due to the simpatico between Mingus and Danny Richmond. So I'm not sure if you quite heard all of that. If not, feel free to go back and listen. Or... You know, try to find this record. This record, Tijuana Moods, is one of the finest uh, examples of Mingus compositions that there is. Okay. And then we started off the set with the great classic Mingus tune, Jump Monk. And this comes from the Mingus at the Bohemia records uh, on debut records, which is also an OJC CD, uh, the original jazz classics CD, features, of course, Charles Mingus on the bass, Eddie Burt 
on the trombone, George Barrow on the tenor saxophone, the great Mal Waldron on the piano, and Willie Jones on the drums. It was recorded in New York City at the Cafe Bohemia, December 23rd, 1955. And according to the line of notes here, it, it starts out by saying that uh, this is a jazz workshop album, which means that here you will find new ideas and new developments on old ideas. Whatever you find, you cannot judge with old criteria complete, completely. You must add new measurements to your yardstick because we are aiming for new concepts. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, for Jump Monk, it says that this composition is described by Mingus as, quote, a profile of Monk, meaning Thelonious Monk. Not a complete picture of the man, but a side view, or one aspect of a complex personality. Actually, it is a double profile because we can see an important aspect of the composer, Mingus. The eight-bar, many-voiced section that keeps alternating with the melody most certainly mirrors the emotional, earthy quality found in both subject and composer. If you listen carefully to the last chorus, you will hear Mingus shout during a couple of the sections, thus bearing out the identity. Of importance, also, are the compositional techniques used in this piece. Along with given melodic figures, the composer created the form and mood by giving the musicians scales on which they could build their own figures. These figures then had to appear in certain places and also had to maintain the mood of the composition. Listen to the first and last courses and notice that even through George Barrow and Eddie Bird play different notes in comparable places. The mood and feeling are still the same. So, yeah, and that's very much a a monk thing. But keep this in mind that chronologically speaking in the history of jazz, monk was kind of a cult hero in 1955 when this was recorded. I mean, he was known in the bebop circles with Diz and Bird and Mingus and Max Roach, but he was not on the cover of Time magazine yet. That wouldn't happen until the 60s. He wasn't really um, very popular with his Columbia Records and Tio Macero as his producer and all that until the 60s. So to dedicate a song to Thelonious Monk in 55 is very forward-looking. I mean, now we look at it and go like, well, yeah, of course. But you have to put it in context, and you have to put it in context through the chronology of what happened when things happened. So we know Thelonious Monk now because he was, you know, he was advertised appropriately, finally, for Columbia Records and became, you know, on the on the musician that was on the cover of Time Magazine and lauded as a, uh, and heralded as a genius, and all these other things. But he was a genius before that. And Mingus knew it. So, 
kudos to Charles Mingus. That's all my point. So, yeah. So that set was um, looking at the dedications that Mingus wrote for some of the Bebop Masters in Jump Monk, Dizzy Moods, and Gunslinging Bird. Um, for, respectively, Thelonious Monk, Tizzy Gillespie, and Charlie Parker. Uh, yeah, so hopefully you, you, you kind of dug that set. We've got uh, quite a couple more coming at you. This next set is kind of dedicated to pianists, if you would say that, or the piano. And then there's a little twist at the end. Stick around. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
So that tune that you heard on the piano was called Roland Kirk's Message. And of course, we are talking about the great jazz multi-instrumentalist Rassan, Roland Kirk, who actually used to be a member of Mingus's group. Um, and it comes from the album... Mingus Plays Piano, which is very uh, acutely aware of who was the pianist in that last track, based on the title alone there. Um, A little background on this track. So this tune, Roland Kirk's Message, started started out as having nothing to do whatsoever with uh, Rassan Roland Kirk. Mingus is actually trying to remember a song that he had written three or four years ago. Uh, Finally, he decided that he was going to call Rassan Roland Kirk, who had been in his band at the time, to see if just maybe by chance that Kirk had remembered it. And um, despite the passage of three to four years, uh, 
Rasan Roland Kirk actually did remember it. And the incident led Mingus to reflect on Kirk and his quote-unquote message. Mingus has much respect for Rasan Roland Kirk's musicianship and disagrees strongly with those who maintain that Kirk is basically a showman. Their problem, he says of Kirk's critics, is that they don't listen to him with their eyes closed. He can play any kind of music, and he's a great composer. Some put him down when he spins a bass on the top of his head, but man, when he plays that bass, it's in tune. End quote. Some of his admiration for Kirk's musical integrity and emotional directness seeped into this piano tune. And Mingus chose to decide chose and decided to name the title of it after Rasan Roland Kirk. Now it says in these line of notes that uh, if Mingus is not an art tatum, he is certainly uniquely himself as a pianist and as this album demonstrates, he plays the instrument with an impressive range of expressive power. Which I agree. It's pretty cool to hear um, someone who's a bassist and who's a jazz composer, a very important jazz composer, I might add, actually play the piano. So, yeah. Which is a great segue into... The tune right before that, which is actually not played by Charles Mingus on the piano. I know I'm giving you a little uh, setup and then a detour, right? A bait and switch. The pianist on that second piano solo in the middle of the set there was none other than the great Jackie Bayard, who was in his group um, for this concert. And uh, the group, even though you didn't get to hear the whole group, was Danny Richmond on drums, Jackie Bayard on piano, Clifford Jordan on the tenor saxophone, Eric Dolphy on flute, alto sax, and bass clarinet, and Charles Mingus on the bass. Uh, the reason being is that this tune, ATFW, which stands for Art Tatum Fats Waller, two great giants of jazz piano, was played by Jackie Bayard. And a little bit on that, um, first of all, let me say that this concert, this is coming, th- this is live. So that's, that middle tune there in the set was recorded live at the Theater de Champs-Élysées in Paris. And uh, it's officially documented as being recorded April 19th, 1964. But that is because they started the concert at about 10 minutes past midnight because they were late getting in to Paris to start the concert. So the concert went from like 12.10 a.m. till about 2.45 a.m. So keep that in mind. Um, and it was at a very special theater, being the theater de, de, of Des Champs-Élysées, because... It is here in this theater um, that the performance of Revue Negra with Josephine Baker and Cindy Bechet happened. 
Um, and that Louis Armstrong appeared in the first performance of that uh, under the conductor James Reese Europe. So this is a very historic theater for jazz, and for somebody like Mingus who knew that, um, it wasn't lost on him. So, um, and it's also an, an awesome theater as far as acoustics go. Um, but that didn't stop Jackie Bayard, as the liner notes here say, from brilliantly opening the concert with ATFW, Art Tatum Fats Waller, the title that gradually became the tour's signature tune throughout Europe. Excluded from the original edition of the concert for technical reasons, the sound was recorded using microphones inside the piano. This song appears extremely enlightening as regards the value of the piece in the Mingus aesthetic and its relationship with modernity. So, yeah, this is the, the tune was written by Charles Mingus, even though uh, it was played by Jackie Byard. So, and Jackie Byard has tremendous facility and range on the piano. Uh, Jackie Bayard is a legend in his was a legend in his own right uh, as a brilliant pianist, educator, uh, jazz historian, saxophone player. I mean, this guy could do it all. Um, yeah, Jackie man, absolutely killer. Uh, but yeah, so just there, we we are dedicating. We we've already hit Rasan Roland Kirk, Art Tatum, and Fats Waller. Well, not to diminish any of those cats, but we started out the set with a tune from probably, arguably, Charles Mingus's biggest well-known album in, in his entire canon of works uh, and albums, live and in studio. And that's Mingus Aum, recorded for Columbia Records in 1959, which is that kind of very golden year in jazz. Uh, you know, 1959 is the year that kind of blew uh, Giant Steps, The Shape of Jazz to Come, Blowing the Blues Away, Time Out. Um, all that those albums came out. Even Sketches of Spain was getting recorded in late 1959. But so was Mingus Aum. And it was a big watershed moment for Columbia Records and for Mingus, uh, considering that some of his uh, other well-known albums, such as Blues and Roots and even Tijuana Moods, which we talked about in the last set, wouldn't come out until after Mingus Aum was released. They were delayed. They de delayed releases. So, uh, but the first tune that we heard there is a tune called Jelly Roll. Oh, yeah. Talking about Ferdinand Lamoth, better known to the world as Jelly Roll Morton, the one who, who claimed that he invented jazz music. <laughs> uh,. I'm not going to peel all the, the layers of that onion or repeal all the layers, layers of that onion on this episode of the podcast because I've already done that. If you want to go back and listen to the Jelly Roll Morton uh, saga, 
you feel free to to do that. There's lots and lots of information there on that episode of the podcast. But Jelly Roll was a big influence on Charles Mingus because, you know, Mingus was very steeped into the jazz tradition. And that needs to be said. So, um, let's talk about, first of all, who was on this session for Mingus Um. So, yes, Jelly Roll was recorded on May 5th, 1959. John Handy was on alto saxophone. Booker Irvin was on tenor saxophone. Um, was on alto. Shafi Hadi was on alto saxophone. Jimmy Nepper was on trombone. Horace Parlin on piano. Danny Richmond on the drums. And our bassist and composer, Charles Mingus. And leader of the date. Uh, it says that Jimmy Nepper is heard again in the opening and closing choruses of the piece whose dedication is to Ferdinand Jelly Roll Morton, and it matches uh, earlier bows to Ellington and Parker. This, too, sounds quite unlike the music of its inspiration, but the 1920s-style slapped bass is integral to the feel of the piece. Mingus's way of paying homage entails having this two-beat rhythm, which continues through the first course of Handy's solo. Then, contrasted with a more contemporary style accompaniment and an alternation which distantly parallels that of his tune Boogie Stop Shuffle. Especially the ending of the track underlines that Mingus is having fun but not making fun of early jazz. And that's a very important distinction that music, Mingus had a very high regard even for this earlier kind of music. He wasn't making fun of it in a tongue-in-cheek way. He was actually just having fun playing that style of music, but not even directly copying Jelly Roll Morton. You see, Mingus was a giant in modern jazz at this time, but his feet were firmly planted in the soil that King Oliver, Jelly Roll Morton, and Johnny Dodds turned. He favored the kind of spontaneity or collective improvisation that marked early New Orleans jazz. Mingus kept his rehearsals to a minimum, which gave his performances a looseness that sharply contrasted with the almost antiseptic smooth style of West cool jazz West Coasters. Mingus's penchant for the past is understandable when one considers that his musical background included stints with such leaders as Louis Armstrong and Kid Ory, the men who rocked jazz in its very cradle as well as Lionel Hampton, a swing-era giant. It speaks to his genius that Mingus so brilliantly managed to combine stylistically disparate idioms into a whole that pleased beboppers and 
traditionalists alike. So, yes, it's very well known that Charles Mingus was highly influenced by Bebop and Duke Ellington, and that he came up playing um, with Louis Armstrong and Kid Ory, but he also had that kind of swagger that Jelly Roll Morton had. If you go back and you listen to interviews with Jelly Roll Morton with Alan Lomax, I mean, you don't really even have to do that. You could just tell his kind of personality and his swagger that Jelly Roll had when he claims that he invented jazz music. So, Mingus definitely has some of that similar type of swagger to him. Being that he could be volatile as a volcano, or he could be, you know, as tender as a flower. So there you go. Now, if you've been keeping track, you've noticed that we've had dedications to Thelonious Monk, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Jelly Roll Morton, Art Tatum, Fats Waller, and Rasan Roland Kirk. Now, before we continue, I have to say, it's kind of like a caveat here, that there are people that Mingus did dedications to uh, that were not musicians, but it was much more in a protest sense, like Governor Faubus, the racist governor for Arkansas, uh, that would not allow um, African-American children to integrate in the schools uh, at that time. And he wrote, of course, Fables of Faubus, which is one of his more well-known songs. And the lyrics that he wrote are even more profound uh, dealing with that subject. But that's not what we're aiming for in this episode, just so you know. Those stories are in the Charles Mingus episode of the Dr. Jazz podcast. Um, what this episode is dealing with are the musical dedications. So jazz musicians that really um, hit, struck a chord in Charles Mingus's uh, ears, heart, mind, whatever you want to say. And so that's what we're dealing with on, on this front, just so you understand, okay? Now, um, I do want to say that uh, a couple of uh, public service announcements here, a couple of PSAs. Remember, if you're trying to jot some of these albums or names down or whatever, or these titles, don't worry. We've done all of that work for you. All you have to do is check out our podcast website, which is... Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast, dot wordpress dot com. And there you can find album art, track information in the order in which it's played, and the artist's name spelled all correctly. So that way you know exactly what you can go looking for if you find a song that you really love or an album that you want to check out. So... Uh, of course, if you have a local record store, please support local. That's super important in today's age, um, and support them when you can. You can also find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now we're on Amazon Podcasts. So if you have a friend or family member that you think would really dig this kind of podcast, please share it with them, send them a link. We're all for it. Okay. Plus, one last note. If you go to our website, drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com, 
at the very top there you can click contact and send us an email and we will respond back to you uh, we love hearing from our listeners and if you have a spare moment and you'd like to write us a positive review on any of these uh, podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts we'd certainly appreciate it so remember we're not making a dime off of this we don't have a subscription series or anything like that this is truly just a labor of love uh, for spreading good music and making, you know, uh, higher awareness of great jazz music. In fact, we actually have to pay to, you know, upload and 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 have these platforms that we deliver the podcast to. So um, we're not making a single dime. So if you uh, dig the music, please. The only thing we ask is that you give us a positive review so that other folks or share it with folks so that they can, you know, bask in the enjoyment and the majesty of jazz music. So that being said, enough talking from me. Let's get to our third set on the Mingusian dedications episode here on the Dr. Jazz podcast.
Gorgeousness. Okay, so a couple of things to unpack here. Um, so this set was music uh, played or written by Charles Mingus in dedication to jazz saxophonists. And that last tune there was a tune entitled... Goodbye, pork pie hat. And it is dedicated to the president of the tenor saxophone, Lester Young. And it comes off of Mingus's album that we've touched on um, before, earlier here in this episode of the podcast, um, Mingus Ah Um which is probably the best-known Mingus album. Um, And on that particular track, we heard John Handy and Booker Irvin on the tenor saxophone, two tenor saxophones, for Lester Young, as well as Horace Parlin on the piano, Danny Richmond on the drums, and Charles Mingus on the bass. Um, An interesting note here, it says in the line of notes that there are few albums in the history of jazz that open with two such strong and utterly distinctive tracks as Better Get It In Your Soul and Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. And it is no surprise that they are each known to a wider audience than just Mingus Freaks. What's also remarkable is that, despite the manifold contrast between them, 
Both pieces are based on the structure of the 12-bar blues. This says something about the durability and flexibility of the blues itself, but also about Mingus's emotional and musical complexity. And I couldn't agree more. <sighs> Goodbye Pork Pie Hat refers to the favored headgear of the great saxophonist Lester Young and was directly inspired by his slow, alcoholic self-destruction in which he passed two months before this recording in 1959. The memorable theme derives its effectiveness from an underlying tension between the seemingly simple blues melody and the yearning chord sequence. As musicologist Andrew Homsey puts it, like Duke Ellington, Mingus was able to compose over the blues structure with such strength, beauty, and sophistication that the listener is not aware of the music's humble origins. End quote. Highlights of this particular realization are John Handy's solo and the moment at 2 minutes and 42 seconds when his flutter-tonguing is mirrored by the tremolo in Mingus's bass. Little, little details like that is just what makes a song quantum. And I certainly hope you enjoyed that. It is one of the more gorgeous pieces and the entire Mingus canon, but also the entire jazz canon that's out there. So, yeah, goodbye pork pie hat for Lester Young. Now, before that, we heard a tune called Profile of Jackie from the album Pithecanthropus Erectus off of Atlantic Records. And, um... It features Willie Jones on the drums, Mal Waldron on the piano, J.R. Montrose on the tenor sax, Charles Mingus on the bass, and Jackie himself, Jackie Mack, talking about the great Jackie McLean on alto sax, in which it features. And the line of notes don't really give much exam much much uh, extra to this example. Um, the, the liner notes were written by Charles Mingus, and he's very quick with this one. Uh, he goes into his thoughts about the, the album, you know, track, Pithecanthropus Erectus, Foggy Day, and Love Chant, but for a profile of Jackie, he simply says, This needs little explanation, as it is a ballad from a series of musical paintings I have done of various people. <laughs> so it is no doubt a uh, musical painting of Jackie McLean, and uh, it's beautiful. It's short at just a couple of seconds over three minutes, but it's uh, a beautiful melody. And, you know, no one sounds like Jackie McLean. I will say that. Um, Jackie is one of those rare people that you know within just two or three notes exactly who it is. Uh, it's almost like Stan Getz or Miles Davis um, 
Ortholonius Monk. You just know in a few notes exactly who that personality and that person is, and that's what makes it wonderful. And Jackie is very much like that. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about Jackie McLean and uh, some of his, you know, uh, personality, feel free to check out the video Jackie McLean on Mars. It's him um, in the 70s when he was teaching at the University of Hartford in Connecticut. And, um, yeah, it, 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 you, you see the struggle of him trying to go and balance acad- being a teacher in academia plus maintain um, some playing opportunities when he can. And him, no doubt, uh, espousing his own theories about, you know, the government and uh, drugs and all this other stuff. So, which is just Jackie. So, yeah, Jackie's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, profile of Jackie from Pithecanthropus erectus. And then to start off the set, it, we decided to take a little bit of a, of a different turn for this one tune. Uh, and you'll see why. The tune is called For Harry Carney. And if you're not sure who Harry Carney is, he is the jazz Barry sax player that was uh, very well known in the Duke Ellington Orchestra. If you're a Duke Ellington, if you're an Ellingtonian, so to speak, uh, Harry Carney had this gorgeous tone on the tenor saxophone that inspired a whole host of great jazz Barry sax players like Jerry Mulligan and Cecil Payne and uh, Hammett Blewett who would later play on with Mingus in uh, the Carnegie Hall concert uh, later on in Mingus's career but this tune was not written by Charles Mingus this tune was written actually by Cy Johnson uh, who was an arranger for the album Changes 2 by Charles Mingus. And this features a different kind of group. Um, It's, of course, Mingus on bass and Danny Richmond on drums. Those are the partners in crime. But this is the difference. On piano is the great Don Pullen. On tenor sax, George Adams. And on trumpet, Jack Walrath. Walrath, Walrath. But yeah, I am the walrus. Good, good, you. Anyway, um, but yeah, it, there's no doubt that Mingus would be apt to want to perform this tune. As Harry Carney is such an integral part to the Ellingtonian sound. Uh, as much as Bubber Miley or Cootie Williams or Johnny Hodges, uh, Russell Procope, Rain Ants, you know, and um, Sam Woodyard, yeah, Jimmy Blanton, Ben Webster. These are all men who, Paul Gonzalez, these are all men who basically helped mold the sound of Ellingtonia. And Harry Carney was definitely in that special echelon. And Ellington figures as well for the fi- in the final for Harry Carney by Cy Johnson, a piece which contains some of my favorite solos in both these albums, Changes 1 and Changes 2 by Charles Mingus. 
Uh, it is a brilliantly, affectionately disciplined, realized performance, just like Harry Carney. Uh, of this album and changes, the Changes One album, Charles Mingus says, it's going to be interesting to me to see what the reaction is. They're both different than most albums I've done in that there's so much variety. Nothing's quite like anything else. And that's very true in that you have certain dedications by somebody who is obviously well in Mingus's ears and his heart and his mind and through one of his biggest idols, Duke Ellington. But Mingus is more than proud uh, to play the Cy Johnson tune for Harry Carney. And it's a very groovy tune. So this the one little deviation, if you will. So, But it's worth noting, and um, there's definitely reason for including that one in this musical dedications. So there you go. All right. We have one more. Yeah, one more set coming at you. Um, yeah, thank you, by the way, again, if I haven't said it already. Thank you so much for listening. We're nothing without you. We do appreciate you uh, so, so much. Remember, if you like the Dr. Jazz Podcast, please share it with, uh, you know, anybody you think that would uh, be interested in this. We try to cover a wide range of stuff, and hopefully if there's something you don't dig on one episode, you may love the stuff on the next episode. We aim to please and to take your mind off the stresses and the craziness of today, today's world. So thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to some more music.
Thank you very much. Thank you.
Mm, all right. So we're going to go in the order that we heard this last set. So the very first tune that we heard was a tune called OP. Not like Opie from the Andy Griffith Show. I'm talking about OP, initials. And we're talking about the great bassist Oscar Pettiford. And um, Oscar Pettiford was one of the 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 bassists that started uh, in bebop, and he played with uh, a whole host of folks. I mean, Oscar Pettiford, he played with uh, Sonny Rollins. That's another big one. Uh, he had his own group. Uh, I believe he played with Ellington, too. So, I mean, this is some guy who was, uh, and he was a bebop bassist. So, this is somebody who was definitely in the same uh, circles that Mingus was hanging out in, for sure. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that Oscar Pettiford is probably one of the bassists that gets, uh, talk about unsung heroes, right? Um Oscar Pettiford is like the guy that nobody mentions. Everybody talks about like Ray Brown, Ron Carter, but Ron Carter will be the first to tell you. I remember this from an IAJE, uh, International Association for Jazz Educators, now JEN, the Jazz Educators Network, J-E-N. But Ron Carter will tell you, because he said then, it's all about Oscar Pettiford. It's all about Oscar Pettiford, you know. And so, Ron Carter is, you know, hashtag Planet Elegance, is um, definitely leading that charge and getting more people to check out Oscar Pettiford, as are we, through uh, mentioning his name here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. So, um, but yeah, Mingus wrote a tune in dedication to Oscar Pettiford called OP, and... um, this particular recording comes from a live in Rotterdam, uh, Rotterdam, from 1970, uh, November 1st, and it features Eddie Preston on the trumpet, the great Charles McPherson on the alto saxophone, Bobby Jones on clarinet and tenor sax, the great Jackie Bayard, who we heard from earlier with ATFW on piano. Danny Richmond on the drums, and of course, our bassist and composer, Charles Mingus, on that track for Oscar Pettiford there. And a great little bebop head to go with it. You know, that's the thing. It's a very catchy melody. Um, After that, we heard a tune written by Mingus to someone who meant quite a great deal to him and that would be the one and only Eric Dolphy Eric Dolphy is one of those very special shooting stars in music in general not just jazz but in music in general and there's a handful of them that we can truly point and go yeah that was a moment Mozart, Charlie Parker, Jimi Hendrix, maybe Clifford Brown. Um, but 
Eric Dolphy was sincerely one of those. And we... Some of us just take his presence in the jazz world for granted. But this is a guy who not only was a virtuoso on the saxophone, but on the bass clarinet and the flute. I mean, he's pushing three different fronts, had many of his own um, great albums for Blue Note Records, like Out to Lunch, but he also was good enough to perform with Coltrane, like side-by-side as a front man with Coltrane as a two-horned front. He also could take somebody who is a completely different personality than Train in Charles Mingus, work for him, and mean the world to someone like Mingus. Mingus could truly write just about anything, and Dolphy could play it. He meant so much to Mingus that Mingus even named one of his sons Eric after Eric Dolphy. That's how much Eric Dolphy meant to Charles Mingus. So Eric was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on to Europe. I'm gonna stay over there for a while. I'm gonna record, I'm gonna tour, you know what I mean? And I'm I'm leaving, you know, the group. So Mingus did a last tour with with Dolphy and wrote, So long, Eric. Don't stay over there too long. But the sad part about it is that he wasn't over there very long at all before he passed away. So uh, very suddenly. And it it was just a, a real travesty. You know, I mean... Dolphy did not do any type of drugs or anything like that. Um, I think his worst thing was that he played chess and he liked to smoke a pipe. Uh, so there you go. Um, yeah, there. I mean, he he wasn't even doing marijuana or anything like that. So uh, it was all about the music with with Dolphy. Um, so yeah, there's a, an extra long version there of "So Long, Eric," and it comes from. The Town Hall concert, Charles Mingus's Town Hall concert from April 4th, 1964, featuring Mingus on the bass, Danny Richmond on the drums, Jackie Byard on the piano, um, Clifford Jordan on the tenor sax, Johnny Coles on the trumpet, um, and who would pass away not too long after this as well. And the one and only Eric Dolphy on alto sax, bass clarinet, and flute. So, um, yeah. And um, according to uh, Mingus Freaks, this featured the Almighty Three. And... um, (laughs) What was it? It was Bayard... Mingus and Richmond called them the Mighty Three, the Almighty Three, which was Eric Dolphy, Johnny Coles, and Clifford Jordan there, yeah. And um, just there are some moments like that that are on a recorded jazz that are just like larger than life, and that's what's wonderful. Um, 
Now, for the last song that we heard, that is the um, one that is probably no surprise to anyone as far as a Mingusian dedication, and that is to Duke Ellington. Now, it um, occurred in December. It was recorded in December of 1974 for Charles Mingus's Mingus Charles Mingus Changes One album. So, the tune that we heard is called Duke Ellington's Sound of Love. And it featured, of course, Danny Richmond on the drums, Don Pullen on the piano, Jack Walrath on the, on the trumpet, George Adams on the tenor sax, and our bassist and composer for the tune, Charles Mingus. And because it's 1974... Let's talk about what that means chronologically in jazz. Duke Ellington had just passed away earlier that year. And Mingus, almost from the beginning of his musical life, was attracted to the music of Duke Ellington. His very first tune that he heard was the East St. Louis Toodaloo, which used to be the theme song for the Duke Ellington Orchestra. And that's when he realized that that for the first time that there was something out there besides church music. And whatever it was, he wanted to get a hold of it. And he eventually became, for a, a brief period of time, he played bass with Duke Ellington and the Ellington Band. And then he would also go on to record with Ellington uh, in albums like Money Jungle for Blue Note Records with in a piano trio format with Max Roach on the drums. But um, Mingus wrote Duke Ellington's Sound of Love relatively soon after Duke died. And this performance is extraordinarily affecting for what it evokes of the romantic lyrical essence of Duke and for what it adds to the long resonant relationship between Charles Mingus and Duke Ellington. And the solos on this tune are absolutely first class. Uh, George Adams sounds as if he were like speaking across a memory to Ben Webster. And then, of course, Duke Ellington, who absolutely loved melodies, would have been delighted with this particular song. So, yes. Um, that kind of relatively concludes um, our Mingusian dedications. Uh, one quick rundown. Uh, Thelonious Monk, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Jelly Roll Morton, Art Tatum, Fats Waller, Rasan Roland Kirk, Harry Carney, Jackie McLean, Lusty Young, Oscar Pettiford, Eric Dolphy, and Duke Ellington. Now, as we say in New Orleans, I have a lanyap for you. And what is a lanyap, you may ask, if you're not uh, hip to the Creole Patois? A lanyap is a little extra something-something. You know, a little uh, bonus, if you will. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, what do they call it? A baker's dozen, you know? So it's like, you know, you order 12 and you get 13. 
you know, instead. Or you order six and you get one extra, you know, whatever. Well, usually we're, we're trying to stick to 12 tracks, you know what I mean, uh, per episode here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. But for this particular instance, because we do love Mingus so much, we have one final tune for you. And it's called uh, Scenes in the City. And it comes from the Bethlehem Jazz label um, album, A Modern Jazz Symposium of Music and Poetry with Charles Mingus. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it features Charles Mingus, Danny Richmond on bass and drums, respectively, Jimmy Nepper on the trombone, Shafi Hattie on tenor and alto, Bill Hardman on trumpet, Clarence Shaw on trumpet, Horace Parlin on piano, and Bob Hammer on piano. So a lot of the, the same cats that we've been listening to on this podcast. So, uh, But the reason we're including this as a little lanyap is because in Scenes in the City you hear Charles Mingus actually say himself some of his, you know, uh, name drops and uh, just how much he loves music and uh, certain tunes and etc. So uh, for your Lanyap selection, here you go. Here is the great Charles Mingus with Scenes in the City. Well, here I am. Right back where I was yesterday day before and the day before that, sitting on a high bar stool holding my dreams up to the sound of jazz music. I live uptown. Why, I don't exactly know, because I'm always downtown. And it seems I'm always with the blues. I talk to myself in public places and hum jazz tunes. I love jazz. But soon I have to make it uptown to that old furnished room of mine. I guess that's why I stall so long downtown. I like the cafe bars down here, especially the ones across the street from the theater. I once wanted to be an actor. This is the closest I'll ever get to it. I couldn't even afford a seat next to the ceiling. That's jazz music you're listening to. Now, I've got 15 cents between me and starvation. And I'll probably have to walk it all the way uptown because I'm living on that music again. You see, I love jazz music. That's pretty music, boy. Pretty. But it ain't really pretty. It ain't like girls in the magazines. It's beautiful. It's terribly beautiful. Say like a woman you might have been with last night. Or say an hour ago. Sad, huh? Sort of reminds me of that old building I live in. And my room looking out over Harlem's waters. Now catch this. Dig. Dig. 
our old building. It's early in the morning and it's hot. I wish I could just relax and be cool. But it's just like my mother used to say, it don't cost nothing to wish. Now here comes old Bob with a mouthful of jive. And I know he's coming right here. I hear you talking, Jim, but ain't no business this morning. No, man, my record player's in the pawn shop. I stopped talking so loud before you wake my old landlady up and she remembers I haven't paid her in three weeks. you got, man? I'm the only man in the world who wakes up to jazz music in the morning. Well, I guess I can't exactly say why, but I find it soft, like a hymn. I had to prove that to my mother when I was back home and I woke up in the morning time digging sound. Moms didn't dig. She just didn't go for it. Bird. Bud. Miles. JJ. Jimmy Blanton and Max, she couldn't see it. Morning, afternoon, night, or any time. That is, until I played her some monk one night late, round about midnight time. I played her some monk, Thelonious that is, and now mom spends many of her nights in Tunisia. And somewhere along the line, the blues walked in. Thank you. 
started up them third floor steps, stumbled, and decided to fall up, not down. Yeah, early in the morning time, late in the night time, I'm with the blues. And sometimes I'm laughing and having myself a ball. And that's why Bob keeps telling me that there ain't no blues up there in my old room. That sometimes it dances and struts like a woman, and skips and hops like children playing ball. Maybe that's why I always manage a change once in a while. And with the blues, whether I like it or not, I love the idea of living. And sometimes it's tough, man. I wonder why it's so tough for me. And I don't mean tough like when Miles is grooving with his horn. I mean like when I can't make that morning meal. When I'm ducking the landlady. When everything I have is in hock. Like when I think, when I think about all the places I haven't been and won't ever likely get to. But I think maybe I will. Yeah, that's the way I think. Like that song says, the sun's gonna shine in my back door someday, all the way up to the bottom of my stomach and up again. That's the way I feel. Well, we certainly hope you enjoyed that. That was Scenes in the City by Charles Mingus. And of course, he drops um, some nice names there like Bird, Miles, you know, uh, and um, talking about uh, how mom spends many of her nights 
around midnight in Tunisia, you know. Um, so yeah, that's a nice little um, added bonus for you. Uh, once again, we certainly, certainly thank you for listening uh, to us. We're nothing without you, so we do appreciate you so, so greatly. Uh, and in the famous words of Duke Ellington, one of Mingus's biggest idols, which we talked about there. Um, you are very kind, very gracious, and we do love you madly. Um, so yeah, if a little extra information, if you want to check out uh, some information on Charles Mingus, you could read his autobiography, which is one hell of a read it kind of goes everywhere and has a little bit more information than you might be ready for about Charles Mingus it's a book called Beneath the Underdog and there's also uh, a great book by Gene Santoro um, called Myself When I Am Real um, and then uh, the, there's a book by John F. Goodman, not to be confused with John Goodman, who's also a New Orleans jazz fan, but not that John Goodman, not the actor. Uh, the author, John F. Goodman, there's a book called Mingus Speaks, in which he interviews Charles Mingus uh, in a series of interviews uh, over a, the, the period of a few years and uh, near the end of his career. And it's highly captivating, so... Uh, I highly suggest for you to check those out. Also, the video Charles Mingus 1968 that I discussed a little bit earlier in the podcast, um, which kind of shows uh, some interviews with Mingus as he's about to be evicted from his New York apartment. And then there's uh, a video uh, called Triumph of the Underdog uh, with that mainly stars Sue Mingus and Gunther Schuller about the performance of Gunther Schuller putting together the scores for Epitaph uh, with an all-star crew uh, to pay tribute to the concert that Charles Mingus tried to get up off the ground. So yeah, and uh, of course there's great concert footage of Charles Mingus from like Montreux and things like that, so you would be very well off checking that out as well. So, with that said, we certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Mingusian Dedications. Uh, and hopefully you found some cool tunes in the process. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Remember, our website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to write us. Just click the contact button at the top of that page and we will write you back. So, until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust. <laughs>